If you've got your Bibles this morning, I would like for you to go ahead and try to get them open to the very second book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 20. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we've been going through a series called Rethink 10. And if you wonder what this is about, um, it's about the Ten Commandments. And if you're new this morning, we just, we're so glad you're here. We were a church started on Mud Island and had a heart for Jesus and a heart for our city. And we have been growing ever since. And we're so thankful that you're here today. But we are in the middle right now of looking at um, the Ten Commandments. And I called it Rethink Ten because I really wanted us to take a fresh perspective on the Ten Commandments. And as the opening video kind of alluded to, I really do believe that a lot of us have an understanding of the Ten Commandments and, and honestly, the whole law of God um, that is just not quite right. And a lot of us struggle to understand what role the law of God has in our lives now that we are followers of Jesus. And what I've been hoping to do week after week as we've been marching through these commandments is to show you that the law has really good purpose in our lives. Y'all remember the four purposes if you've been here? The first one is to show us God's will, God's intent, how he's designed life. Y'all remember this? Uh, The law shows us life as he originally meant it to be. Secondly, the law helps us see God's perfect character. We've talked about how the law shows us the beauty, the splendor, the holiness, the distinct separateness of God transcendent in all his ways, perfect in all that he is and all that he does. It helps us see the character of God. Third, in light of seeing the character of God through the law and the Ten Commandments, we also come to terms with our own sinfulness, how far we have all fallen short, how broken we are, how needy we are for a savior. And then fourth, it leads us ultimately in all of this to see Jesus. The law points us to Jesus, who perfectly, he's the only one in all history who's fulfilled the law perfectly, shows us what life as a human should be like, and by his righteous fulfillment of the law, gives us that righteous requirement freely by his grace that we might have right standing before God. And even more importantly, he gives us his Holy Spirit to transform us and redeem us so that we might fulfill God's original intent in the end. It's beautiful, God's law. Today, we're going to be in the sixth commandment. Anybody remember the sixth commandment? Using your hand motions. Anybody remember it? Yeah, Miles is doing it. Murder. <laughs> so, um, the sixth commandment is murder. And, um, well, all you guys are thinking, man, I picked a great Sunday to be at church. <laughs> I just know right now. You are thinking, um, well... It's going to be easy. Uh, duh. Anybody thinking that? Duh. All right. Let's read Exodus 20 and um, we'll dive in. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall... Not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me 
and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you you, you speak to us and we'll listen, but, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The Ten Commandments, these basic foundational laws given to us by God, originally here given to Israel right after they had been delivered miraculously out of Egypt, God comes and he forms them into a special people and he helps them to know his heart and his design of life, his character and their waywardness. And ultimately, and all of this is pointing them to Jesus. The Ten Commandments. I talked to y'all last week about kind of, the, y'all remember those two categories of the ten? What are the two categories? Y'all remember? You could kind of break it down into two categories. One is commandments that relate to our relationship with God. And secondly, a category of commandments that relate to our relationship with with others. The first four help us understand how we are to relate to God. The second set, the last six, help us understand how do we relate to others. And that's why Jesus, I talked to you all about this last week when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all that you are, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you would love, if you had the right heart, the heart of love for God and love for others. This is what Jesus came to do is to give us new hearts of love. But he's saying, if you had a heart of love, all the commandments take their proper place. If you loved God with all that you are and you loved others as you love yourself, everything in life would be as it should be, right? So that helps us understand some of the intention behind the commandments. And now we're in the second set because we're in number six. So we started last week with honor father, mother, and now we're on commandment six, which is what? Do not murder. Now, some of you might think this is going to be a great Sunday because all Barrett has to say is do not murder and we can go. (laughs) I mean, we all get that and it's not going to be so great for you. Um, 
you know, you would think this could be a short sermon, and I, I have a way, guys. I have a way of just, of really giving you what you came for, all right? Um, just playing. There is more to this commandment. As I have been studying and praying and preparing uh, for this series, I have just really enjoyed spending time in God's law and in God's word. I have so enjoyed it. And I've been so helped by many other men of God who have really enjoyed it and invested so much in understanding God's real intentions here. Um, I, uh, I've mentioned before, I'm so thankful for Tim Keller up in New York City and J.D. Greer. Both of them have done such great research and work into this. And I have just been, I have been amazed at the sixth commandment this week. Let me just tell you that. And I hope that you will be too, because there's so much more here than just, all right, guys, don't go kill somebody. I mean, that is important. Okay. Let me go ahead and say that. All right, guys, don't go kill somebody. All right. Um, that is really important. So we don't want to miss the forest for the trees here. Um, do not murder. But there is so much more, I believe, that God is saying to us here. This is why we call this Rethink 10. Um, as we understand God's word and as we understand his commandment in light of the gospels. Let me tell you, if you've got something to write with, I encourage you to get it out. Or maybe you can get a notes thing on your phone. But let me just tell you kind of the real, the real basis and, of this commandment. To really understand the sixth commandment, you've got to understand where it comes from, the foundation of it. So here's what I would say. The basis of this commandment is this. Life, human life, human life is precious. The basis, the root, the foundation that this whole commandment is built upon is this reality. Human life is precious. Now, if we can understand the basis of the commandment, then we can also understand the heart of the commandment, which is that we should understand the value of human life and work, make it our purpose to protect it. The basis is understanding the preciousness of human life And the heart of this commandment is that we would understand this preciousness, this value, this inherent worth to human life, and then commit to work, to live in such a way that we honor and we protect it. The heart of this commandment, if you had to put it in bullets, could be like this, love human life protect human life, prosper human life. You could say something to that effect. We're going to walk through this more uh, together, but that is the heart, I really believe, of what God is speaking to us here, is that he is wanting us to hear how he's designed the world. He wants us to hear his heart, and he wants us ultimately to see the preciousness of Jesus and all that he's done for us. The basis, the preciousness of human life. Here's what I'd like for you to do. We're going to start today by going backwards one book. So if you can go with me to Genesis chapter 9. 
There are many places, what I would desire to do this morning and the next few minutes that we have together is to go to several other places in the scripture that speak to the sixth commandment, to the murder commandment, so that we can understand more of what's going on as God speaks it. Because I really do believe there's more to it than just don't murder. Genesis chapter 9. If you uh, need a little bit of context for this passage, um, this is right after the flood where the whole earth, with the exception of Noah and his family, was wiped away by the flood. And after natural disasters, there could be a tendency to devalue human life. Um, Sometimes when we think in terms of statistics rather than individual stories and people's lives, it's easy just to kind of write things off. And with such a huge uh, natural disaster, um, you could almost imagine how, as God speaks here, he's helping them to understand that just because of the great loss of life that Noah and his family had just witnessed, it doesn't mean there's not worth to human life. Let's look at verse verse 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 9. God says to Noah here, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man... In his own image. Now, what is God saying to Noah here? Before you start down the trail of, is this a statement about capital punishment? We're not, that's not the sermon today, okay? But here's what I really believe God is saying here. The point, you ready for it? Human life is priceless. Human life is priceless. He's basically saying to us, and to Noah and also to us, he's saying, there is no amount of money that you can just pay to make right taking another person's life. There's no amount of time that you can serve to really make that right. He's saying, you've got to understand, Noah, and all of us in this room, we've got to understand that the way that God has designed a human life is that that life is priceless. There is nothing on earth that compares to the value of a human life other than another human life. In other words, it is of the highest value of all of God's creation. That's what God is saying here. The point that he's making is human life. God has chosen to put an inherent worth on human life such that it is priceless. Above all other things that God has created, God values human life the most. Priceless. What can you give for human life? There's nothing you could give for it is it is at the pinnacle of what God esteems in his creation. Does that make sense? Now, you've got to ask yourself, 
I think you should ask yourself, why is that? Before we go getting all excited about how important we are, how great we are, isn't it awesome? We are the best. Okay, now, just hold on. Let me tell you a little bit about why human life is so priceless. See if you can find it in the Genesis 9. Is there a clue there? Look back at verses 5 and 6. See if you can find it. Anybody see it? Okay. Here's verse 6 again for you. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for what? For God made man in his image. So God is connecting the pricelessness of human life to the reality, the truth that God Man, human life, men and women were created in the image of God, which takes us back to Genesis 1. If you want to look at it, you can look on the screen or you can flip back in your book. But in Genesis 1, verse 26, at the start of all of the Bible and all of this narrative that we have of the world, God said, Let us make man what? In our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says, so God created man in what? His own image. In the image of God, he created them. You think he wants us to hear something? He like repeated the same thing. I mean, Why'd you just tell us the same thing two different ways? Because it's important. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, God created them. (laughs) Male and female, he created them. So, the reason, the point, remember, human life is what? Priceless. Now we have a reason. Here's the reason. Men and women reflect God more clearly than anything else in all of creation. By God's design, you and I, men and women, people everywhere, are made distinctly. When God created you, he created you with a specific intention a specific design, a specific purpose. He has designed your life and every human's life to reflect God's image more clearly in your life and every other human's life than in anything else in all of creation. Human life is priceless. And the reason it's priceless, we learn from Genesis 9, is because human life distinctly among all creation was made to reflect the glory, the beauty, the wonder, the love, the worth of the image of God. Human life is precious. Because all humans are made in the image of God. This means, y'all got it written down? 
Now, let me just take it one step further, and we're going to stop and talk for a second. Here's what it means. This means that every human life carries inherent worth because God has made that life in his image. Every human life, everyone, from the womb to the deathbed, from the poorest of poor in the slums of India to the richest of rich in the penthouse of New York City, from the most uneducated to the highest scholarly academic, from the blackest of black to the whitest of white to the reddest of red to the tannest of tan, every color in between, from the handicapped to the Olympian. Every human life, friends, every one of them, all seven billion plus, every single one of them carries an inherent worth and dignity simply because if for nothing else, hear me, simply because God has chosen that every life Everyone from birth reflect his precious image. Human life is precious because God is precious and God has chosen to allow humans to reflect his image. That means that when we think of humans as anything less than the image of God, we devalue human life. For every life carries inherent worth, for each life is made in his image. Y'all hearing the heart now? More of the heart of this commandment? So you've got to ask the question now, so why would anyone murder? Anybody ever wondered that? What leads a person to murder? It's a heart problem, isn't it? Here's the problem. Why would anyone murder? The answer is something has happened in the heart such that a person begins to value God, excuse me, value something else more than God or more than human life. That is the issue with murder. Is what happens in the heart is something else becomes more important than God and more important than the value that God has placed on human life. Now, you can just look in the Bible. Anybody ever read about murders in the Bible? Don't you love that the Bible's super honest? Some of the greatest heroes, if you're hearing me this morning, and there is a conviction in your heart at any point, I just want to tell you about the grace of Jesus because God's grace can redeem us from any sin, any past, any failure, even murder. Some of the heroes in the Bible that are described as men who have a heart and women who have a heart after God and a life of faith in God are people who have a murderous background. But if you look at the biblical accounts of murder, you can find what's going on in a person's heart that leads to murder, right? Anybody have any examples you can think of? Um, 
Okay, here we go. How about here in Genesis, Jacob and Esau? Do you remember when Esau tried to kill Jacob? Anybody remember that? Why do you want to kill him? Greedy, greedy son of a gun. Jacob had something that Esau wanted. And greed is greed in a person's heart that leads you to murder. Something that you want more or something that you respect more than a person's life. Greed. You remember, uh, oh, here at the beginning of Genesis 2, Cain and Abel, remember that? Remember? Cain killed Abel, why did he do it? Jealousy, that son of a gun was jealous, right? He was jealous, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And because that other person had something that he didn't have, he murdered him so that he could look better, he could feel better. Sometimes, uh, you remember David? King David. Remember what David did after his adultery? What did he do? He sent Uriah, the husband of the wife of the wife that David was sleeping with. He wasn't sleeping with his own wife. He sent Uriah where? To the front of the battle lines and had him killed. Why did he do that? Fear. That son of a gun was afraid. He's afraid he's going to get caught. He's afraid he's going to get found out. Fear. What about, uh, we go to Serbia every year and we teach First and Second Samuel and there's a, there's a really famous story there where Absalom uh, and Amnon and Tamar were all like brothers and sisters and Amnon ends up uh, raping Tamar and what happens is Absalom ends up going after Amnon to kill him. Why? Because that son of a gun couldn't leave vengeance to God. He took it to his own hands personal vengeance. You see, you got to trace where the murder's coming from. And what you find again and again and again is murder starts in the heart by valuing something more than God and more than human life. But we know at the heart of this commandment, God is saying, don't murder. And he's saying to us, I want you to see that you've got to value the preciousness of every human life for every human life is made in my image. See? Now, let's talk about what this means for us today. So what, you say? Some of y'all are still thinking that this has no relevance to your life because you don't plan to go and buy a gun and kill somebody. So what, you say? Here's where the rubber hits the road. What does the sixth commandment mean for us today? If you have your Bibles, I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 5 with me real quick. There are four practical applications that I really believe that we can make from this commandment, from the sixth commandment. Four practical applications. The first two come out of this passage, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Everybody there? Say yeah. All right, I heard enough. I think you're there. Jesus says this. Now, interestingly, friends, he's going to bring up the sixth commandment and help us understand it, okay? Here's what he says, verse 21. You have heard it that it was said to those of old. What does he say? You shall not murder. What's that sound like? Exodus 20, right? He said, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you, who is angry, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoa. Whoa there, Jesus. Calm down. What are you, you know, it was just pretty basic until you started talking there. Anybody ever feel that way when you read the gospels? You're like, ouch. Am I the only one? I mean, you read Jesus and you're like, he's basically, Jesus comes on the scene and people marvel at him because he speaks with authority and he interprets the law of God perfectly. So here's what he says. He says, guys, you know the sixth commandment, right? Don't murder. Let me tell you something about what this commandment is about. First thing that I see Jesus saying here is this. Number one, we must always protect human life. You got to live. You want to know the heart of this commandment? You got to live with a heart and intention to protect human life. In parentheses, I have here what I believe you could say on the, on the negative side of this. It would be never desire physical harm to others. Never desire physical harm to others. Now, where do we get this? We get this straight out of verse 22. But I say to you, then everybody who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What? You gotta be kidding me. Me being angry, same thing as murdering? That seems a little far-fetched. Anybody ever feel that way? But this is what Jesus is saying. And here's why. If you could understand this, I really believe you could get to the heart of what God's after in your life. God does not just look at your behavior. God looks at your heart. Some of us live by a behavioral checklist, and we think that we're right with God if we could just get our behavior in order. But the fundamental problem with us, friends, is not our behavior. The fundamental problem with our life is the brokenness and sin, rebelliousness and, rebelliousness and deep need of our hearts. That's why we so desperately need a Savior, and we need to live on our face with a heart cry, God, change me daily. Would you fill me? Because I'm not the person on the inside who you desire me to be. I need your grace, your forgiveness, your love. I need your transforming power in my heart. See, God does not look at your behavior. I mean, he does. He does. Okay, behavior is important, but here's what I'm saying. Your behavior comes out of your heart, and God sees the heart. Samuel says, men look on the outward appearance, but God looks upon your heart. So you may not act upon your desires, but it's your desires that matter. Should I repeat? You may not act on your desires, but it is your desires that matter. Your desires show you more who you really are than your behavior does. God 
looks at your heart. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. When you desire, okay, you may not ever hit somebody, but when you want to hit somebody, you might as well go ahead and hit them because you're guilty of hitting them. You may have never pulled a gun on somebody, but when you thought, ooh, I just wish he was dead. You are guilty. God sees the same corruption of your heart as he does those who actually do follow through and murder. And I'm not saying you should actually go ahead and murder them or hit them. I'm not saying that, okay? Your behavior is really important. And, and sins of behavior have major consequence on you and on others. And have, I'm not saying murder, okay? It's not the same. But it, in the eyes of God, where it comes from, God is really concerned with where it comes from. He is looking at your heart. And what, you got to ask yourself a question. Have you ever desired another's harm? Have you ever thought that thought or prayed that prayer or wanted that for someone else to, to experience some kind of physical harm? If so, Jesus is saying, you don't get the sixth commandment for the Lord puts a value of preciousness on every human life and wants you to live in such a way that you always have a commitment to value, to esteem, to respect, to, to protect human life. Never to desire another's harm. Secondly, I see from this passage this point that we must respect others. We must respect others. We must in the negative sense, I put here in parentheses, we must never think or treat others as less than. We must never think or treat others as less. Now, where, where do we get that? Look at verse 22 again. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then what Jesus says is staggering here. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying here, when you insult other people, when you call other people a fool, when you demean other people, when you speak harshly, just when you don't respect other people, you are breaking the sixth commandment. When you insult someone, call them a derogatory name. When you diminish their worth, you ultimately, friends, are not recognizing and respecting them as a creation made in the image of God as they actually are. You're thinking of them as less than the image of God. And God calls us, Jesus calls us to have a heart to where we respect others. If nothing else that we can respect another for, we can respect them because they are human and God has established value to them because they were made just as you are in the image of God. Now I know, I know. I've heard the talk in my own family, 
I've heard the talk in friend groups. I've heard the talk as I've been around town. I've heard the talk in some circles, uh, even closer here to this church. I know that at times it can be tempting to have a person or a group of people that you think less than. Illegal immigrants, Muslims, just naming those two. I'll stop there or else I'll get in trouble. I know at times that you could be tempted to have a person or a group of people to, you don't respect and that you speak derogatorily about or you diminish just because of something that you think that they are or something that you think that they do. But I really believe that when we do that, we are dishonoring and disobeying the sixth commandment because we are not seeing them as equal creations made in the image of God that are worthy of our respect, if for nothing else. They have the same wants as us, the same fears as us, the same needs as us, the same hurts as us, the same pain as us, the same loneliness as us. They are uniquely made in God's image. And Jesus says, we must respect others. You want to understand the sixth commandment? You got to protect others and their human life, never wanting physical harm. And secondly, you got to respect them, never thinking of them or acting toward them as if anyone is less. Friends, No one should be treated as less in your life as a follower of Jesus. Third, for this one, we got to go a little bit further over to James. Over to James. James chapter 5. Interestingly, James, who is the brother of Jesus, brings up the sixth commandment in his book to us. And we'll just start reading here in verse 1. I'm just going to tell you here, this one's going to step on some toes, all right? It steps on mine, but we need to hear God's word, and we really need to understand the sixth commandment, because I don't think we really get it yet. Verse 1, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you James is saying that if you want to understand the depth and the heart of the sixth commandment, then you've got to understand this piece of it. Here it is, number three. You've got to understand that you as a follower of Jesus must care and help people when they are suffering. You must care for and help people when they are suffering. 
On the negative side of this, if you have to say it, you could say it this way. I put here in parentheses, you must never be indifferent, especially when you have abundance. You must never be indifferent to the needs of others. Now you go, what in the world does this have to do with a sixth commandment? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know other than the fact that this is God's word. And James says, if you live with indifference toward others, if you have abundance and you don't share it, then what happens is the blood of those are speaking against you and you are found guilty of murder. That's what he says. Verse six, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. Oh man, how is this murder? You didn't do anything against them, did you? Well, he says that you actually did. For you didn't see the preciousness of that human life that was suffering. You didn't see the inherent value. You didn't respect. You didn't care for it as God sees that life and and respect it as God sees and move in to help. You're piling luxury upon luxury upon yourselves, building up, storing up, doing more from self-indulgence and all the while you've turned a deaf ear to the cries of those who are suffering and by choosing to hoard rather than to give you are showing that you don't get the sixth commandment He's saying that these folks consider their own convenience as more important than the lives of the poor. He's saying that they don't get God's heart. They haven't followed him in his ways. Because if we got God's heart, we would see the preciousness of human life. And when we hear about people who are suffering, whether it be orphans on the street, like we saw the, the movie Lion. Anybody see that movie recently? Lion? Man, oh man. But in a world today where we have orphans on the street like that, where we have disease, sickness, where we have all kinds of sufferings, if our heart doesn't bend toward those who are suffering, if we don't use our life and the trajectory of our life to care for the poor, for the hurting, for the oppressed, for those who are suffering injustice, then we are guilty of breaking the sixth commandment for we show that we don't value the preciousness of every human life as much as maybe we just value the preciousness of ours. You see what God is speaking to us? And it's not just giving away all your money or moving into a place of missions or ministry. It's becoming a business leader who cares about the way that they use their business, not just to profit themselves, but to care for the employees that work for them. It looks like having a practice that considers if you're in a health profession, not just how you can serve the elite of the elite, but how you can use the resources, gifts, the money God's given you to think about and to at least galvanize an effort to care for those who don't have what they need to maybe get the help that they that you could offer. Maybe it is money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it is a a calling in life, but God is saying that to understand the sixth commandment, it means that we've got to understand that he's called us to help and to care for those who are suffering. 
as he has cared for others. Number four. For this one, we're going to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 6 through 8. And then we're going to close. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 6 through 8. God says to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn that wicked to turn from his way, then that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. We're just full of lighthearted passages, aren't we, today? <laughs> um, it's a hard passage, but here it is again. Saying, God's saying to Ezekiel, I, I want you to see yourself as a, as a watchman who set out to look for something that's coming. Now, it, a watchman would fail in his job if he saw something was coming that would hurt his people that he's assigned to protect, and he didn't warn the people, right? Everybody kind of gets that. And he's saying, Ezekiel, in the same way, if I say to you something and you don't spread that on to somebody else, then I am considering you guilty. If, I'm, if I've got a message to the wicked that if they don't repent, they're going to die, and you don't share that message that they should repent or lest they die. When they die, their death is on your hands. <laughs> He's trying to wake Ezekiel up to something, and I think it leads us to our fourth and final application of this sixth commandment, and it's this. We must share the gospel with others. We must share the gospel with others. The negative side of this, in parentheses, you would see here, we must never be apathetic about their eternity. We must never be apathetic about the eternity of every human life. If we really believe the gospel, sometimes I wonder, you know, do we really believe the gospel? If we really believe the gospel, then we would live with an urgency to share the gospel, the good news of Christ, upon, apart from which any person could be saved. We would live with an urgency to share the message of Christ with everyone that we can. And I'm not talking about going out and making signs and standing on Bill Street saying, repent or else you die, you creeps, you know, you drunks, all that. I'm not talking about that. Here's what I'm talking about. As we live as followers of Jesus, one of the things that God does in our hearts is he helps us to see that every human life is precious, right? And in understanding that every human life is precious and every life made to, to be in the image of God, we've got to recognize that that life is going to live after death. Every soul, every person has a soul and every soul will live into eternity. And we know, we know, guys, we know that it's only Jesus. Jesus is our hope. He is our joy because of what he's done for us. There is an opportunity for forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. 
But apart from Jesus, friends, there is no opportunity for life. He is the source of life. And every person must make a choice to put their faith, their hope, their confidence, surrender their all to Jesus. And if we get that, we can't just be blind to other people's eternities. Every precious soul that we come in contact with, whether it's a person in your clinic, whether it's a neighbor down the street, whether it's a mom or dad or family member in your family, we will care, we will pray, we will be concerned, and yes, we will share. For we don't want to hold back the message that God has entrusted to us. And that's what God's saying to Ezekiel. You don't hold that back. If you hold that back, you don't get the sixth commandment. You don't get it. You'd be guilty of, of, of murder, he's saying to Ezekiel in a similar way. You've got to see that part of understanding the sixth commandment is taking responsibility and what God has entrusted to us to share that message of hope and salvation with the world who desperately needs to hear it. Now, we're done. I'm, I'm a king of smooth transitions. Um, we're done. And uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed the real lighthearted message today. Um, just playing. I, some of y'all thought, um, some of y'all thought coming into this, right? Sixth commandment. That's an easy one. Don't murder. And like I told you at the beginning, there's so much more to this commandment than just don't murder. This commandment is helping us to see the preciousness of human life and to understand the value that God has put on every human life and the call that we are to care and to protect and prize every human life. Some of y'all thought this was easy, but as we went through the application points, perhaps today you recognize that maybe you're more broken than you originally thought as it relates to this commandment. You see God's perfect character and design, but you also see your brokenness. I mean, which one of you has never wanted to desire somebody else's harm or thought about that maybe? Is there anybody who hasn't insulted or demeaned another, said something derogatory or maybe harbored thoughts about a person or a particular group that just don't have any place in the life of a follower of Jesus? Has anybody ever been apathetic to the suffering of others, hoarded stuff for yourselves, been more concerned for yourself, even with the cries of the suffering all around you. Maybe we don't quite understand the sixth commandment, do we? Or has anybody kept from sharing the message that God has entrusted to us, the precious message of salvation that is the power of God to all who believe? Have we just been indifferent to the eternities of others, maybe not fully understanding and living in light of the sixth commandment. Friends, I have hope for you today. I have hope. (laughs) All of this is meant to lead us to Jesus. You know what Jesus shows us? Jesus shows us that God sees human life as precious. For why else would God, (laughs) who didn't need us, but chose us, why else would he come to live among us, to live with us, to understand us? Why else would he fulfill this law perfectly, which Jesus did? He's the only one who's ever fulfilled the sixth commandment perfectly. And he's willing to credit your account with his perfection as a free gift of his grace. Why else would he go to the cross? Think about it. He's being murdered 
They're breaking the sixth commandment. And he stays on the cross, though he could have gotten off easily, just calling upon God or angels that would have attended to him. But he stayed there because your life is precious to Jesus. He considers you valuable. He considers you worth it. He loves you. And he came that you might not die, though you deserve it because you've broken his commandments. But he came that you might live to preserve and to give you new life that will live forevermore. This is the love of God. And in Jesus, we see the preciousness of human life, yours and the life of everybody in the world. Amen. And in Jesus, I'm telling you, there's hope for you, friend, that God is not finished with you yet. I had a little sign on my toilet as a little boy. He said, please be patient, for God's not finished with me yet. And I remembered it to this day. God's not finished with you yet. Don't think that you're where you need to be. You're not. You can be transformed by the power and love and grace of Jesus to honor and understand the sixth commandment and to live it out in our world that needs to know that Jesus considers every life precious. Amen? Let's pray. God, would you do a mighty work in our hearts? Lord, would you help us to see how much we need you, Father? We need you. Thank you, God, for the sixth commandment. Thank you that you show us that life is precious because it's made in your image, Lord. And we know that starts with us, and we thank you that you consider our life precious, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you came for us. And I pray there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Jesus, that today they would call out to you and put their trust in you and receive your gift of life. Lord, for those of us who do know you, God, we see the depth of the brokenness and need in our hearts. And Lord, we want you to come. We invite you to come and just fill us, redeem us, Lord. Would you restore us to be as you desire us to be? Would we treat every person with dignity and respect because every person is made in your image, Lord? And would our lives just reflect the preciousness of every human life? And we live to make you known. I pray this in Jesus' name.